I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And good morning, we welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I did to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan, westward, and all the kings of the Canaanite, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. And that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. This is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males. Even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land, which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children, whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised. But they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. The Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month and even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the same, same day. And the manna ceased on the morrow, after they had eaten of the old corn of the land, neither had the children of Israel manna any more. But they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us? Or for our adversaries. 
Verse 1 tells us that the heathen nations in Canaan saw the powerful manner in which the Lord had brought his children through the Jordan. And they were totally demoralized by these events. It would seem that they were absolutely resigned to their fate. It would appear that this would be the perfect time for Joshua to lead the people forward into the attack. However, instead of commanding his people to go forward into the battle, God commands them to remain at Gilgal and to do several things that on the surface might appear very strange. It even appears that the things that they were required to do puts them at risk before their enemies. And while the ways of the Lord may appear strange to you and me, we must remind ourselves the ways of the Lord are not our ways, according to Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. You see, God never gets in a hurry. He has the liberty to take his time and do things on his schedule. While the things that happen in this chapter appear strange against the backdrop of impending battle, the truth of the matter is God is simply preparing his army to fight. He has them to do some things that may be uh, appear odd when preparing for the battle, but again, God's people are engaged in battles that go far deeper than the physical realm. In fact, before the battle ever begins in the physical realm, it's already begun in the spiritual realm. God's battles are spiritual battles. If we expect to fight in these battles and do well, then we must make the right kind of spiritual preparations. That's what the Lord's doing here in the life of his people, Israel. You see, we all have battles to fight. And if we expect to overcome and achieve the victories, then we must learn to make the right kind of spiritual preparations. Now, Israel appeared ready for the battle. They possessed a large army. They faced an enemy that was terrified at their presence. However, God knew that they would never be ready to fight. They would never be able to win a battle until the proper spiritual preparations had been made. And that's what this passage is about. The lessons taught here can help us in the here and now of our lives if we'll take some notes. Let me ask you a question. Are you ready to conquer your Canaan? The answer? Only if you're willing to make this, the right spiritual preparations. So let's take a few moments. Consider the steps that Israel was commanded to take before they could conquer their Canaan. And as we do, ask yourself whether or not these things have been taken care of in your own life. Verses 2 through 7. They renewed their covenant with the Lord. The first command that the Lord gives to Israel is that all the men are to be circumcised. Now, it would seem that all the men who came out of Egypt were circumcised according to the demands of the Abrahamic 
covenant. However, those men who were born during the 40 years of wilderness wandering had not been circumcised. The fact of the matter is, during the 40 years of their wilderness, the rebellious generation that was dying off were no longer a covenant people. Now, before these men can claim their Canaan, they must be circumcised. They must renew the covenant with the Lord if they wanted his blessings on them and if they wanted to be guaranteed the victory. The lesson for us is simply this. Just as Israel was required to remove from their bodies a piece of flesh as a sign that they were part of a covenant, so too we must remove from our lives anything that stands between us and total surrender to the Lord. The Bible is clear that there are times when you and I must engage in spiritual surgery in our lives. Though I do not have the time to go to all the passages, two I will give you, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17, and 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. To the Jews, circumcision was a reminder that they were a marked people. They were to never forget that they were servants of the living God and that they were under obligation to obey him in all things. Circumcision was to be the outward reminder of an inward work of faith, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 16. Child of God, if you are born again, then you are supposed to live like you are born again. Anything that is displeasing to the Lord needs to be removed from your life. It needs to be cut off. It needs to be put away from you forever. There are some in this room this morning who have failed to live out the covenant that they made with God when he saved them. You must, you should, you need to renew that covenant with him. Get back in the fellowship with the Father and serve him like you know you should. Remember the vows you made him in the beginning. Remember the promises you probably made him in the beginning. Don't you think it's time to live like you're born again? Don't you think it's time you live like that new creation that God said you were by saving grace. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. But also in verse 8, we see reaffirming their confidence in the Lord. Not only renewing their covenant with the God, but reaffirming their confidence in God. Now at this point, Israel is camped in the heart of enemy territory. After they have been circumcised, every male in the nation of Israel is temporarily disabled and is rendered unable to fight. It took great faith for them to submit to uh, this rite of circumcision. They had to be willing to trust God to protect them until they healed. They're literally sitting ducks for the enemy. However, their faith was the secret to their success. 
These men had learned the valuable lesson that their battles would not be won by military might and by superior battlefield tactics. They knew that if they ever saw victory, it would be because God gave it to them. Theirs would be a victory based wholly in faith. And as we move through this life, we face times of testing, just like these men in Israel did. They had just come from a great victory, and often that is the time when pride will rise up in us, and we will think that we are invincible. We are unstoppable. Those times come in your life and mine. You can be sure that the Lord will allow us to go through a time of testing. And when we do, we must have faith in God. It is not enough to be clean spiritually. We must also be walking in faith before God. We must remember that our God can and will take care of his children. And this spiritual truth is taught over and over again in the Word of God. When God's people aren't able to take care of themselves, their God is more than able. Let me give you a few instances in Scripture where faith in a great God paid amazing dividends. Genesis chapter 6 through 9. Noah and his family was protected in the ark while the rest of humanity perished. Exodus chapter 12, the firstborn of Israel was spared while the Egyptian children died. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were spared from the fire. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was spared from the hungry lion. 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah was fed by the ravens and fed by a poor widow. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was given grace for his race. What I'm trying to convey to you is that God takes care of his children during the difficult times of life. He is still God, and he is still able to give every one of us everything that we need. His one requirement is that you trust him. Verse 9, not only did they renew their covenant with the Lord, not only did they reaffirm their confidence in the Lord, but they removed their condemnation by the Lord. Verse 9, the term here, Reproach of Egypt has reference to two events during Israel's wilderness wanderings. The first is found in Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 12, when the children of Israel made a golden calf and worshipped it as God. The other happened at Kadesh Barnea when the children of Israel displayed unbelief and refused to enter into the promised land in Numbers chapter 14, verses 11 through 14. Now, on both occasions, the Lord threatened to destroy the nation of Israel and start fresh with Moses. And both times, Moses interceded with the Lord and reminded him that he would give the Egyptians a reason to mock God. 
They would say that he brought them out of Egypt, but could not bring them to Canaan. However, now they are in the land, and God has proven that he is well able to bring his people into their possession. Therefore, he tells them that he had rolled that reproach away. In other words, their past was no longer an issue. It's a new day. A new day has dawned. And in a sense, many of God's children are still living under the reproach of Egypt, quote unquote. You may be living with the shame of the things you did before you came to faith in Christ. You may be ashamed of times when you have failed the Lord since you've been saved. Either way, you live under the constant stab of self-condemnation. I want to remind you this morning that if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, your past is no longer an issue. You have been cleansed. You have been forgiven. You have been born into the family of God. You are a child of the King. He does not look at your past. It is buried in the deepest of seas. There's a no fishing sign there. You are a child of the King. And the reproach of the old life has been removed forever. You must get past the guilt of those days before you can walk in victory in your Canaan. And by the same token, many believers have failed the Lord in a huge manner. And as a result, they're defeated and feel like they are second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And part of the family of God have made them feel like that instead of restoring them in the faith. We shun them and we push them away and treat them like second-class citizens. We shout that there should never be any racial divides when in the church we're creating them by not accepting forgiveness and not bringing and giving forgiveness and not bringing and restoring that child of God back into the faith, into the fold, into the church. And as a result, they walk around all defeated and they feel like second-rate people in the kingdom of God. My friend, if you have confessed your sin and repented of it, then it has been taken care of as far as God is concerned. 1 John 1, 9 is still in the word of God. If we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It does not matter what your brother feels like. It does not matter what that pastor says if he's going and violating the word of God. It matters your standing before God. And he says, you and I are clear as long as you confess your sin and repent of it. First John 1, 9 is still in the Bible. And God is telling Israel here, that yesterday is forever gone and they are to walk looking forward, looking to victory of today rather than living in the defeat of yesterday. If you've made your sin right with God, you may as well put it behind you because the Lord has certainly put it behind him. My friend, you'll never walk in victory until you come to realize that God Almighty 
has forgiven your past. Verses 10 through 12. Not only did they renew their commitment to the Lord, their covenant, not only did they reaffirm their confidence, they removed their condemnation by the Lord, but they remembered their commitment of the Lord. In verses 10 through 12, we find Israel once again keeping the feast of the Passover. They first observed it when they were still in Egypt in Exodus 9 through chapter 14. They also celebrated it at Mount Sinai before they left for Kadesh Barnea in Numbers 9. However, there is no biblical evidence that they had celebrated the Passover in 40 years. The fact is, they couldn't. The new generation had not been circumcised, and that was a requirement for participating in the Passover. That's going to help us to remember that the Passover and what the Passover is, in fact, all about. When the Lord sent the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn upon Egypt, he told his people to select a lamb, kill it, put its blood on the doorpost and lentils of their house, and then cook and eat the lamb. And when the Lord passed through Egypt that night, he would see the blood on their doors and would pass over those protected homes and the firstborn would live. Israel was commanded at that time to make this a yearly feast. They were to remember that night when they were passed over by the Lord and spared from the plague of death. They were to remember that it was that night in which the Lord had delivered them from their bondage in Egypt. The Passover was a time for the Jews to remember the deliverance of the Lord. Now that they are in the promised land, they are to celebrate the feast of the Passover. They are to remember the things God did for them in bringing them out of Egypt and in providing for them along the way. What a lesson here for the redeemed people of God. When we face the battles of life, we must remember some of the great things that God has done for us. We must remember when he called us in love, when he saved us by grace, when he forgave our trespasses, when he kept us from falling, when he conquered our enemies in the past, when he gave us victory, when there seemed like there was no hope. My friend, if God was God then, he is God now. Just as Israel needed to remember the Lord's commitment to them, they also needed to remember their commitment to him. You see, for 40 years they had eaten manna every day. However, when they ate of the fruit of the land of Cana, Canaan, the, 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 the manna ceased. Now surely Israel was glad that the manna was no more. Now the Passover reminded Israel that God had brought them out of the land of Egypt. But the manna was constantly reminding them that they, what they had left behind in Egypt. 
It was easy for God to bring his people out of Egypt, but it was difficult for God to get Egypt out of his people. And far too many believers today are just like the Israelites. That is, they have the appetite for the things of the world, just like Israel did for the things of Egypt. And God help us to develop a hunger for the harvest of our inheritance. God didn't save us to satisfy our hunger with the things of the world. He saved us so that we might learn to enjoy him and feed off the things that he would give us. We must learn to feed on the things of God. We're children of the king. We do not scrounge around for scraps. We feed on the best there is. Because we are child, children of the king. 13 through 15, I show you this. They recognize the control of the Lord. The final step in getting ready to conquer Canaan is learning who's in control. And one day, as Joshua is looking over the city of Jericho, he sees a man and he's standing there with a drawn sword. Joshua boldly asked the man, identify himself to state which side he was on. And when the man responded, he said he was captain of the Lord's host. He told Joshua that he did not come to take sides. He came to take over. That is, he was in control of the Lord's armies in heaven and in earth. He told Joshua that he was in charge. My friend General Joshua had just met the commander-in-chief. Joshua's response is to fall down before him and worship him. And that's the indication that Joshua is submitting to the will of God and he knows who's in control. That is, my friend, we must do like Joshua did here. We must lay down our swords at the feet of the captain of the Lord's host. And the lesson here is much, but here's what I see. I must remind you, that a crucial step to our road to victory is learning to relinquish leadership to the will of God. He is Lord and we are his servants. Therefore, whatever he says goes. That having been said, don't miss this. Don't miss the great blessing that's contained here. Joshua is under a great deal of pressure. He's trying to lead an army in a successful conquest of a powerful enemy. And more than anything, he needs to know that the promises God gave him are exactly real. Here, Joshua is experiencing the reality of these promises. God is telling Joshua that he doesn't have to fight the battles alone. He's even telling Joshua that the battles are not his responsibility. The Lord is the captain of the army of God, and he is present to direct the battle and give him victory. May I remind you we serve the same God. He's promised you, he's promised me, he's promised everyone who, are, who belong to him that he fights their battles. Get on your face before the king. Get on your face before the leader of the army. Seek the Lord's will for the battle and let him lead you to victory.